Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's episode. As you know, the current crisis in Myanmar is extremely concerning, and we appreciate that you're taking the time to stay informed. There is even value in just becoming more aware and helping to inform others. So please consider sharing this episode so that more people may learn about what is happening in the country. It's critical to ensure that this issue remains present in public discourse. But for now, let's get on to the interview itself. So today I am speaking with Sai, a sham poet and activist operating largely on Instagram and posting in English. Sai's poems speak to the struggle, strife, determination, and hope of the struggle against the military junta and provide a glimpse into Myanmar for English-speaking audiences. He's been writing poems and posting them to Instagram since shortly after the coup. Sai, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, so in our conversation, uh, I'd like to get a sense of your journey, what motivates you, how you see the current situation in Myanmar from your own vantage point, uh, and also how you feel your writing uh, kind of connects to it all. Uh, so I was hoping uh, we get started with just uh, your journey. Um, where'd you grow up? Uh, how And how did you get to where you are now? Yes. Um, so uh, I'm Sai. I'm 25 years old. And um, I was born and raised in Yangon. I lived in the city and went to school there until I was maybe 16 or 17. Then I moved to Bangkok, Thailand, to start my college education. And currently I'm based in Taiwan, in Taipei, working as a freelance writer for for a private uh, publishing company. So um, my background, I would say, I grew up in a very traditional, perhaps like cons- conser- conservative family. I'm, mm. I'm mostly ethnically Chinese, maybe mm. like with a little bit of sham from my dad's side. Mm. And uh, despite that fact, my family, including myself, didn't really like practice Chinese uh, folk religion. We were mm. we were devoted um, Buddhists, Theravada Buddhists, mm. still are, especially my mother. Uh, mm. She meditates a lot. She regularly upholds the the five precepts and you know mm. makes regular donations to the sangha and the underprivileged. So she she kind of had a massive influence on my spiritual life as a young kid Mm. like uh, me and my family would go on pilgrimages every single year to many uh, sacred buddhist sites like in in bago in zagai in mandalay so Mm. you know even though i'm not like ethnically bama i Mm. still identify as a Myanmar national Mm. you know just uh because of how synonymous you know state and religion are and mm. it pains me to see such a beautiful one of kind nation kind of devolve into the state that we see today once mm. again because of you know one delusional man and right. yeah that, that that's that's how poetry came uh 
into mind because I've always had I've always had a passion for writing and mm. I figured you know if 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 I were to stay sane in in, <laughs> in this situation I might as well write and share my words on Instagram and hopefully you know people who get to see or read my poems feel the same way as I do yeah yeah exactly and you and you mentioned uh staying sane um the the current situation seems a bit insane um so how how would you say your poetry helped you to do so um what uh about writing what about posting uh helped you to sort of uh, uh maintain your center um i guess writing you could say it's like a coping mechanism for me in Mm. a way um I distinctly remember the moment the news broke I was in the MRT on the subway here in Taipei and I couldn't quite process what I was reading Mm. like I felt an emotion that I truly have never felt before it was like a mix of just confusion and an anger and frustration and, you know, honestly, I can no longer keep up with the countless lives the regime has taken away from us. Mm-hmm. It's scary because, you know, these tragedies are somehow becoming normalized. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure this applies to um, everyone who are Burmese, you know, like our feelings and emotions have become so desensitized that, like seeing a dead body in the streets, like no longer phases phases me. Like, mm. of course, this is not to say that you know I'm giving up the fight. Like, I'm giving up mm. hope. It's just that it's funny because this is coming from a devoted Buddhist and someone who mm. consistently practices meditation. So, mm. you know, like I, I believe those who practice vipassana, like insight meditation, know that feelings are just feelings, and. Mm they can't really bother you unless you choose to cling to them. Hmm. And so in a sense, you know, my practice and everything that's happening in Myanmar are always like clashing. And sometimes it Hmm. gets um, overwhelming. And that's how poetry helps me in Hmm. a way, like a coping mechanism Hmm. and like, you know, turn something that I love um, into a place that I could take refuge in. So, yeah. yeah. That's excellent. Uh, yes. And that makes a ton of sense. I think that, that like you're saying, that clash, that sort of uh, juxtaposition of um, your meditation, your sort of spiritual journey uh, in connection with the sort of atrocities or the the horrors that you see on a regular basis through social media or in the news or whatever it might be, um, having to make sense of that, having to come to peace with that in some way so that you can move forward um, would be a massive challenge. Um, and you found uh, writing to be a way to help you to move yourself through that to sort of, I would imagine, transform that into something useful. Um, is that accurate? Yes, yes, in a way. Yeah. Sure, sure. And and so um, what motivates you to uh, share your poetry? What motivates you to, to uh, post it for the world to see? Um, so like I previously said, like it, it serves as a coping mechanism for me. And mm-hmm. it's almost like a routine now that I go on Instagram for at least an hour a day mm-hmm. and just um, keep myself up to date with the situation in, in Myanmar. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, like, you know, like 99% of the time, like the news that I see, it's not, it doesn't offer hope in any sense. Mm-hmm. And when I feel like, you know, everything, like, I feel like this whole process, like, I do understand that, of course, this, this, the spring revolution, it takes time, it takes time for change to happen. But sometimes you can't help but feel helpless, you know, and, mm. and I'm pretty sure the same applies for everybody, 
including、mm. the Burmese diaspora, like even、mm. those of us here in in Taiwan seeking asylum and you know having stayed here to living in exile.、Mm. So,、um, yeah, in a in a way, I guess what motivates me to write is. That I just want to reach out to people and kind of just say, you know, hey, like it's okay, like, like I know it's it's a tough time for all of us, and、mm. I believe that words hold power, and、mm. especially when you phrase it in a way that just hits you in the feels. So、mm-hmm. that kind of effect is what I'm going for, for、mm. my own sake, and of course for, you know, people who could. Maybe feel better in a sense, I guess, after writing, after reading my poems.、Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. It's a form of sounds like a form of、uh, connection, a, an attempt to、um, express the thing that you're experiencing because、uh, it might be that other people are experiencing similar things,、uh, and it sounds like it helps you to stay connected, stay grounded.、Um, If if you don't mind,、uh, I'm going to read、uh, a poem that you posted、uh, on June 11th, 2021.、Um, so it is、uh, mass arrests, mass abuse, mass abductions. Yet they fail to seize what lies at the heart of the revolution. The spirit of the people remains unbreakable. Do you still feel that the spirit of the people remains unbreakable? Yes, of course, definitely. Such a、um, beautiful、yes. poem. Thank you.、Hmm. What gives you hope? What if you're seeing these things uh, uh, transpire on a regular basis? What what what? Keeps you going. What keeps you motivated? What are the things that、um, makes up sort of the heart of the revolution or the spirit of the people to you?、Um, I think because,、um, of course, you know,、uh, Myanmar has been like way before the February coup. Myanmar has always been like not stable. I guess, like you know, because like we're all familiar with. Life under dicta- dictatorship,、mm. and when when the February coup broke out, maybe like I guess like a few months in, the regime started cracking down as usual, you know, on activists, on protesters,、mm. especially on poets,、mm. and it, it it always it's just beyond me, you know, it just baffles me that, you know, how insecure do you have to be to go after、right. poets? You know,、right. because in a way, I feel like, like personally, I feel like poets are like the backbone of Burmese society.、Hmm. Um, I, I read plenty of Burmese poems as well, and there was a time when news broke out that one of the、uh, one of like I would say prominent poets was shot in the head、hmm. for、um, sharing, I guess, writing a poem on Facebook that just. Kind of resonated with what the people felt,、hmm. and I believe I'm not sure of the details, but I believe he was gunned down, and that was kind of like the tipping point for me. Of course, like、yeah. in the past, the the regime, like the previous regime, did you know like organize like like crack down on poets and writers and authors, and they would imprison them for like a maximum of ten years. You know,、mm. so、um, I mean, this dictatorship is truly horrific, just on another level than like all the previous dictatorships, like、uh, maybe during the time of General Nguyen or or Than Shui. You know, it's it's just worse because it's like our freedom to do anything basically has been stripped away,、mm. like our voice as well, and I guess. In a way, I also want to pay an homage to the fallen poets and all the poets who are, you know, still in hiding in Myanmar and、mm. writing poems, you know, to give us hope. I feel like that、mm. is such to me. It's it's a brave thing to do. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, a hundred percent. That uh, is, as you said, uh, this military junta targets um, poets. It targets the the sort of lifeblood or the 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 thought and the feeling and the spirit leadership uh, of the people in an attempt to to I think uh, cow the resistance to to kind of scare them. Um, and it's been very inspiring to see uh, continued uh, expressions, continued um, writing, continued resistance um, uh, over time. Um, and even over a year on, a year and a half on, um, uh, at least from my observations, it, it still seems like there's plenty of fight left um, in the in the resistance and the revolution. Um, yeah. Do, so do you have any... Um, uh, any poets that you like to read? Any uh, any particular um, posters who who you feel are worthy of a follow or worthy of um, you know just checking out at all? Um, that's an interesting question because even though I'm aware that um, there are many many poets in 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 Myanmar who's like you know like revolutionary poetry, but um, as far as I know, I've yet to see um, an, an Insta Instagram account, like a poetry account that focuses primarily on the spring revolution. Of course, mm. like there are some, you know, just poetry in Burmese language, but mm. it's not really about like revolutionary poetry. Mm, right. Yes. Right. That makes sense. Um, and how, how that's a, you, that's a great thing to for me to think about, I'd never thought of before. What, what would you say is revolutionary poetry? What does revolutionary poetry do? Mm, revolutionary poetry, I guess I would define it as poetry that stirs the hearts of the people. Mm. I, I would, I would say that like, um, of course, uh, you know, there has been many, uh, forms of revolutionary poetry, in the past as well, like for for instance, um, William Blake's I, William Blake's The French Revolution, for example. He was an English. He was a prominent English poet, and the French Revolution, of course, as the name implies, was about the French Revolution. And you know, mm -hmm. sometimes you see these um, interesting parallels between revolutions in the West, elsewhere, and revolution in in Myanmar. Because, you know, in the end, that's freedom is what we all want. Freedom from fear, you know, mm -hmm. freedom to do whatever you want, basically, just basic human rights. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the, it's like a common struggle towards freedom. Um, yes. Common, common struggle uh, away from oppression and repression. Um, how... So... How how do you make sense of what's actually happening in Myanmar? How do you make sense of, you know, on a personal level, the freedoms that were starting to be enjoyed within the country and then the sudden clampdown of that um, on February 1st? How do you make sense from your perspective? Um, actually, I don't think anyone expected that something like this would happen in this hmm. um, day and age. Right. Like, I guess for starters, like I said, I, I was born and I, I was raised in Yangon. So like even mm. before the February coup, I guess before like Myanmar was opening up to opening up to the world, there mm. was like still like the previous like regime under General Than Shui. So mm. I I distinctly remember like during General Than Shui's regime, like the previous dictator when like power cuts and blackouts were far too common. Mm. And, you know, the sound, the sound of generators would like bust through the night until the next mm. morning. And I remember how me, my, my aunt and like little sister had to queue several times for uh, clean drinking water and, um, and cooking oil during during the aftermath of, of Cyclone Nargis in 2008. Mm -hmm. And speaking of Cyclone Nargis, it was during that time that 
I realized everything I'd experienced up until that point was not the norm. You know, mm. it, it wasn't normal to not be able to do homework because there was no, no lighting, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and truth be told, it was during that time that I began to develop an interest in, in writing and in poetry mm. in general, because there's no electricity. You know, there was nothing yeah. you could do, but wait and, and wait until all the lights flicker back on again. So right. during Cyclone Nargis, it was a time that really shed light on my view of the country I lived in. Like uh, when, when the disaster happened, like basic necessities and medical supplies were really scarce. As far as I remember, it was because the, the previous regime blocked all international humanitarian aid. Hmm. When it happened, it was, it was just an absolute nightmare. Like we had to stay awake for several nights because the roof kept uh, leaking water and like, kept shaking violently because of the winds. And mm. it was just flooding everywhere, especially in Yangon and, and, and in Pathane. Mm. And I, I heard of far worse cases in Pathane where the Delta was just littered with bodies because mm. of the incompetence of the regime. And then mm. soon after there was like, there was like a rise in, in, in cases of dengue fever and mm. You know, children especially were very vulnerable. So, like, it was during that time, you know, that that I just that I can just remember vividly that this is all. It's like we're we're thrown back into the past once again. We're back to where we started from. Like, it's you know, like the fact that we the fact that we're living in in some sort of a medieval age and mm. how the country is slowly becoming a backward country because of one delusional man, you know? So in a right. sense, all of this experience is uh, like connected, I guess. So it's not hmm. new, hmm. but it's just the feeling now in present day is just fresh and, and, and raw hmm. because it's time for you know, it's time for the regime to go. And, right. you know, and I'm especially very proud of people who support the CDM movement, especially people like PDF um, resistance fighters in the jungles. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's just, I feel like Myanmar is entering a new phase, or I would say journey, because this isn't unlike during the 1960, uh, the 88 uprising or like the 2007 Saffron Revolution. This is entirely new. And, you know, even though it seems like the situation is hopeless, I do feel, I still do feel like a vestige of hope because this time we're actually fighting back. Right, right. And that, and it's always darkest before the dawn. Um, yes. And, uh, and also the, I think you're right that that sort of, uh, aspect of fighting back, um, you know, in, in my very short reading of the, the country, again, from an outsider's perspective, um, it definitely seems like a different spirit has a kind of possessed, uh, the people. Um, and there is a, a an understanding. I wonder, uh, if you remember, if you could recall what it was like after um, some of the reforms started to take place, um, was there more opening up? Was there more uh, hope in the country? What what was that time like up until the uh, coup happened? Um, so, like I like I previously mentioned, I left Myanmar for Thailand when I was. 16, 17. So that was, mm. I think that was shortly before the country was opening to, uh, opening up to democracy and elections, like fair elections mm. were being held again. So mm. my experience would be, because I didn't really get to grow up during that brief phase, like brief, like democratic phase right. in Myanmar. So I grew up, um, like I said, under the previous regime. 
And mm. it's also kind of funny because my mother was there protesting on the streets near mm. Sule Pagoda during the 88 rising. Mm. My grandfather was there during the, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is not widely known, but like the anti-Chinese riots, like in mm. 1967, I believe, which mm. was instigated by General Nguyen's regime. Mm. So I think I speak for all Myanmar nationals and those of us, like the Burmese diaspora, that we have this collective, like generational trauma that still persists to this day. Mm. And, you know, I do not want that for my children mm. or grandchildren to mm. bear the same weight that that me, my parents, and grandparents bear, because mm. you know I don't I don't want them to live in exile forever and and for, for forget about their their identity in a sense. Mm. So the regime that I grew up in, like I said, like the blackouts were far too often, and mm. there were also like mandatory curfews and like martial law. And I also remembered um, like a gathering of five or six people in cities like Yangon was like strictly prohibited. I mean, this was mm. the previous regime. So, mm -hmm. of course, it, I mean, and during that, that time was like maybe like mid 2010s. So it wasn't like, it, like, like I said, even though the rest of the world was like developing and evolving. You know, internet was very rare in Myanmar. Like there were internet cafes, like people could, you know, chat on Facebook, play video games and all that stuff. But the internet mm. speed was just horrible, you know. Sure. So we didn't really have access to information or facts. And I didn't realize it back then, but propaganda as well was like very... Uh, prevalent, I guess, because like whenever, like, you know, uh, I grew up like reading newspapers, Burmese newspapers and watching MRTV, which is like the state owned like propaganda channel, because back at, back in those days, I didn't really know that this was a propaganda channel, you know, mm. like everything uh, in a way, uh, the regime was just brainwashing people you know, through, through MRTV, because that was, as far as I remember, that was the only channel on, like, on television. You know, we didn't yeah. have, we didn't have, like, international channels or, like, international news channels, because MRTV and, like, I believe another channel as well, it was all that we could watch. So, in a way, the people were very, I mean, we grew up very, like, controlled, in a mm. sense, you know, like, even though on the surface, everything was, like, normal, but deep down, that was the kind of life that we had to, yeah, that, that we had to grow up, grow up on. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder some of those things that you had said earlier about um, your mom being a devout Buddhist and you being growing up Buddhist. Um, I see some of those themes in your uh, poems, which um, I, I thought was very beautiful. Um, and I wonder how, uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this as a question, uh, how the sort of the, the claims of, of sort of Buddhist identity or uh, Bamar identity and, and Buddhism and protecting uh, that identity and protecting Buddhism uh, made by the military junta. I wonder how that squares with someone who is an active practitioner. Um, again, I, I'm not Buddhist. I don't uh, know yes. much about that. Um, but I wonder how, how that squares or doesn't square. Like from your point of view, what would be a more true version or reading of that? Um, I guess from, from personal experience, because now like under, under this dictator's regime, like religion is being used as a tactic to kind of like promote their propaganda. But mm -hmm. I'm just speaking from personal experience. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but back in my days, like religion wasn't really like used as 
as a propagandist tool, I would say, because, mm-hmm. you know, Myanmar, of course, is a predominantly Buddhist country, like a Theravada Buddhist country. Of course, mm-hmm. there are many, um, how do I phrase this, like uh, minorities, I would say, mm-hmm. like Hindu minorities, Muslim minorities, and which is also like another problem because back in the days we all thought that you know every everyone like every religion was like coexisting together but it wasn't really the case as in mm. you know the rohingya genocide mm. so like so like back to buddhism i would say yeah i mean life back then was just different like maybe i dare say a lot better than the current regime because you really had the freedom to, you know, worship or practice well, whatever you believe in, mm-hmm. and um, like I like I said, like we, my family and I grew up in a very conservative family, very Buddhist, like very religious. Mm-hmm. That we would go to the Sri Dagon Pagoda as well, like every Sunday. So, mm-hmm. in a, in a way, I guess we kind of coped with. Um, the life under dictatorship through religion, because mm. you know, for me, Buddhism is all about nonviolence, all about right. peace and and compassion, right. upholding the five precepts. You know, paying ref, uh, uh, refuge in the triple gem, like the Buddha, the the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Mm. So, um, yeah, but as far as I recall, like the previous regime didn't really use religion as a propagandist tool. But of mm. course, I'm pretty sure that persecutions elsewhere, especially in Rakhine State, mm. were, were happening because we, we don't usually get to hear those kind of things in newspapers or in, on, or on the channel in Yango. Mm. So yes. Mm. And have you noticed a change generally within, um, you know, within things that people you're connected with, have you noticed a change in awareness around what's happened in sort of the yes. more border regions and that? Okay. Yes. Yeah, what, yes. what type of change? What's it, what's it felt like? What's it moving there towards? Is definitely, there is definitely a change because um, if I have to be honest, uh, when news of like, I guess it was in 2017 when news of the Rohingya genocide started like getting mainstream, mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. what like most of us felt in Yangon was like, Oh, like, you know, the, the Muslims are the bad guys. Like they're the one mm. trying to infiltrate into our society or, mm. you know, they're trying to preach their faith and trying to, you know, turn Myanmar into a, a predominantly Muslim state, you know, mm. that, that kind of propaganda, it, it was kind of right. very common and very usual. But mm. now I think, I think this has to do with that, like I said, that democratic face that we, we experience. Mm like the internet started coming in, we started having like mobile networks, people started opening up, even like within the LGBT community, you know, people just become more open-minded because of democracy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just changed because it still baffles me how, you know, this current dictator can pull something like this in this day and age, especially in 2022, in the age of information. Because back then, we don't know what, you know, if this information is true or false. We just accept it as it is. But now we get to verify those facts. We get to see truth for what it is through right. social media and, you know, through, through connections, through communications. So it's definitely different. And I would say I'm incredibly, um, I would say... Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I've become more aware as well, more educated um, mm-hmm. about the situation in my country, how mm-hmm. people, you know, um, like outside of Yangon, like in the north, like in Zagai or in Kachin State or in Kayin State or in Rakhine State, for example, like people, like they have been suffering you know, like, like this kind, they, they've been experiencing this all their lives and we don't know about this. And it's kind mm-hmm. of heartwarming to see that everyone is, you know, fighting for, you know, I- inclusivity. And, mm-hmm. you know, that we're not, like when we're fighting this, we are reminding ourselves that we're not just fighting for Bamar people. You know, we're fighting mm-hmm. for, uh, uh, I don't know, like for unity, I guess, you know, right. because um, like I said, 
it has become clear that what we experienced in the past was all propaganda, and that yeah. in order for change to happen, we have to be more open-minded and aware and put everything into the equation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if if we'll come back to reality in just a second, but if you were to be able to like wave a magic wand, what would unity look like to you? What what do you think that that sort of uh, bright shining star in the future would end up looking like or being for Myanmar? That's a very great question. Um, I would say if I have a magic wand, I would perhaps go back in time hmm. before General Aung San's assassination. Uh, General Aung San is uh, Do Aung San Suu Kyi's father, who was hmm. like like a prominent figure, like the father of the nation. Because hmm. before he was assassinated, Myanmar was actually, you know, transitioning um, into a more inclusive state, I would say. But hmm. the coup happened, that the coup gen- uh, instigated by General Nguyen happened. And I think starting from that point, the country just started spiraling down, just started devolving until into the state that we see today. So, mm. and I'm not sh- I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I've heard stories from my uh, parents and my grandparents that Myanmar truly was a, I would say, very developed country, like before the '60s. Like it was one of the most um, uh, economically successful nations in Southeast Asia. Like we exported, we exported a lot of like rice, and like our country was abundant in natural resources. You know, mm-hmm. everything was just going well. You know, I mean, even um, like there was a, a how would I say like a diplomat from from Myanmar who was like the Secretary of State of the United Nations. Hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, back in the days, I guess it has also to do something with the country being colonized by Britain before. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, after just, you know, after that point in time, things just started. Yeah, every, everything else just becomes a nightmare, essentially. Mm, yeah, a, a downward spiral, if you will. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, you know, every every well has a bottom. Um, yes. And the bottom is oftentimes the the best place to to push off of, so you can go back up to the surface. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So if if you could again, you know, th- I think that was a great, you know, pointing to um, what was there before, what is actually possible, what actually had developed at one point in time until it was sort of taken away by that coup in the in the, I think it was the '60s. You said. Um, uh, and so, in the future, uh, what what might that look like? What uh, I mean is is there unity? Is there sort of togetherness, or what what sort of you know comes out of this? Let's you know you don't want to look too far into the future. You want to stay firmly rooted in the present and firmly rooted in the situation we find ourselves in. But also, I, I do wonder what what sort of is the motivating vision? What is the thing that 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 kind of you feel a, a brings people forward um, and makes people feel hope? Um, I mean, for uh, first of all, just a disclaimer, like I'm not an expert on like politics, like on politics in general, but sure, sure. speaking from personal experience, I would say a united Myanmar is a country where, you know, we just accept people for who, who they are because mm. like, it also has to do with the regime's propaganda that, you know, pitting um, like ethnic groups against each other, that, you know, there's always this like narrative that they're the bad guys and we're the good guys. And mm. I think in order to have a truly united Myanmar, a truly united country, we really have to um, eliminate those preconceived ideas, mm. you know, that there, there's no good or bad. It's just that mm. we, we're fighting for change. And if we truly want mm. to see change, we have to accept everyone for who they are. You know, I mean, it's, mm. it's, um, it's easier said than done, but I guess that's what the national unity government, the NUG mm. uh, envisions. 
And mm-hmm. so far, like, as far as I know, everyone agrees with this, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, like to, to, to see a united country without like all this like internal conflict, because I just learned like maybe a couple of days before that, like Myanmar has like one of the longest ongoing civil wars in the world. And mm-hmm. this goes way back, like, I think even before General Aung San, like before the mm-hmm. 60s. So like going back to what I previously said, like people from, you know, like many ethnic groups outside of like the central part of Myanmar, they've been fighting for independence and inclusion inclusion all their lives. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in order to see a United Country, we really have to, um, you know, put those ideas on the table and take everything into consideration. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, an acceptance, an opening, um, and a hopefully a, be, a being present with the other, being a, being present with someone who is not exactly like you, but is also very much like you um, yes. at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was, I was wondering, sort of in that vein of, of hope, but also in the vein of struggle and change, um, if you had any um, poems that you would like to read. Yes. So... I, I wrote a poem back in April 20. Um, I got inspired. Th- this poem is inspired by a CDM teacher, I think in, in I guess in Kachin State. Um, she's wearing a red shirt with a quote that says, what is coming is better than what is gone. Mm-hmm. And like part of my poetry is that I, I, I tend to get inspired from like real events and uh, real tragedies. And I, turn them into like my art. So this is what I wrote. Um, There is no hope without change, no change without great sacrifice. Blood, sweat, and tears we have shed for a new just world ahead. Rebellions are built on hope. What is coming will be better than what is gone. So this is one of the poems. And um, beautiful, beautiful. I guess that speaks, another. Yes, I was just going to say that that speaks so well to to exactly the the thing that we were just talking about. That's that's gorgeous. And, and yeah, and go ahead, please another. Yes, um, so then the last one would be. This was in February six. Um, this was um. One of the regime soldiers shot a student from ABFSU, which stands for All Burma Federation of Student Unions. Um, he he was shot to death for for merely holding anti-dictatorship banners near near Inya Lake in in Yangon. And this is what I wrote: Yet another life taken for an act as harmless as holding a campaign banner. Where in the world can you witness such inhumanity? How in the world can we let this tyranny run free? So this is what I wrote. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. That, that, again, that speaks to that sort of focus and purposeful action. How do you feel you connect to the action, if you will? How do you feel, what do you feel your role is? Um, I guess for me, everyone who is a Myanmar national, even those of us, you know, who are seeking asylum elsewhere or living abroad in the comfort of our homes, I think for me, at least I am completely aware of my privilege. Mm. Um, You know, I have a roof above my head. I don't have to worry about breakfast or lunch, you know? So I, I feel like it's a civic responsibility for me to speak out because I have a voice. I have a voice and many of us in Myanmar don't. They're being silenced. And 
you know, I just have this duty that I have to speak out no matter what. I have to sacrifice my time and energy and, and put as much effort as I can into the revolution. So my role um, is, of course, you know, spreading awareness. That's number one. The second thing, like I said, um, I try to kind of like ensure that people, especially like the world and the international community, don't abandon us, you know, mm. because I feel like the world has completely shunned us out and left us to fend for ourselves. And in a way, my role would be kind of like reaching out and just just letting people know that, you know, just please don't give up on us. I, I know like the news, like what's happening in Myanmar has kind of like lost momentum in like international news hmm. so that's what I hope for and that's what I'm trying to accomplish thank you Sai uh, I appreciate your words I appreciate your energy uh, I appreciate that role that you're playing um, I do think it's important I do think it's um you know, exactly what you said is, is spot on for what someone in your position can do. And, and you are doing the thing. Um, and I hope you continue. Uh, I, I am now following you on Instagram, so I'm going to keep looking out for those words of inspiration. Um, and, uh, keep looking out for, uh, that, that beacon of hope, um, that propels us forward. Um, thank you. Thank, thank you for you the kind words. Indeed. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, and yeah, uh, is there anything else? Are there any other projects or is anywhere that you want to direct people's attention? Um, if anyone listening can go and uh, do something or connect with you in some way, uh, where can they go? Um, I, I don't really have like big plans because my focus right now is on writing poetry. Of course, I'm also helping um, the movement in Myanmar many ways, like making regular donations to PDF and you know, doing the, the click to donate. Mm. And so uh, for projects, um, like, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm right. I love writing. So I've been writing, um, I would say a collection of fictional dystopian stories that is heavily inspired mm. by the revolution and by everything that's happening in Myanmar. They're still, mm. they're still in an early phase, but once the quality of the content reaches my expectations, then I have plans to kind of find a way to get it out. And hopefully, you know, if, if I receive any monetary support, I'm going to donate every cent to this cause. Because, you know, if you're a true Myanmar national who loves your country and wants to see this regime crumble to dust, that's what you would do. So that's what I've been working on. Perfect. Perfect. And your, if someone wanted to find you on Instagram, what is your Instagram handle? Um, my Instagram account is the poetry account is in the land of gold and grief. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Sai, thank you so much for your time. Very much appreciate it. Best of luck in your future endeavors. Again, continue writing. Uh, we need you. Everyone needs you. Uh, so thankful that you do, you're doing the work that you're doing. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. I would just like to say something. Yeah. Is that I really appreciate um, like the team's effort, like your, your team's effort. I've actually been following Inside Myanmar for maybe like two, like way before the coup. Oh yeah. Like, because like you guys, like you guys like focus on like, you know, bringing awareness on like, like Buddhism and like insight meditation mm. and mm. you know in a, in a sense you guys really inspire my practice as well so that's that's what I want to say before we end after today's discussion it should be clear to everyone just how dire the current situation is in Myanmar we're doing our best to shine a light on the ongoing crisis and we thank you for taking the time to listen. If you found today's talk of value, please consider passing it along to friends in your network. 
And please also consider letting them know that there is now a way to give that supports the most vulnerable and to those who are especially impacted by the military's organized state terror. Any donations given to our nonprofit mission, Better Burma, will go to the vulnerable communities being impacted by the coup. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Refugee Camps, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the Purchasing of Protective Equipment and Medical Supplies, COVID Relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Oh,